Well, we've been talking about trauma and more importantly, the care, the compassionate care that we can apply to those who are going through times of difficulty. And of course, the setup here is that 2020 has been a really tough year for most people. I've already seen the memes of people who are done with 2020. They're ready to move on to 2021. Sometimes you need to be careful what you wish for, right? So who knows if 2021 is going to be a better year because the number on the calendar really doesn't make much difference. There are a lot of factors that are contributing to the weird year that we're having and uh, not to mention or not, not to least of the things is the pandemic that we've all been going through. So what we decided to do, the elders and I, is to address this issue from the standpoint of how we can help people who might be going through recognized or unrecognized trauma. Now, the recognized trauma are the symptoms that we see on the surface, the, the sleeplessness, the irritation, the, the discouragement. Uh, we list them in the fear, frustration, and faithfulness categories, and we'll dig into those a little bit later on in a couple weeks or so. Um, as we look at those things more particularly. But we have been struggling. We see those things. We recognize them on the outside. And then furthermore, we're seeing the things like divorce skyrocketing, uh, suicide skyrocketing, uh, child abuse is skyrocketing, uh, violence in the cities skyrocketing. So all these things have a traumatic effect. Sometimes we see it. Sometimes there's an unrecognized trauma and we're trying to look at it from that standpoint of that unrecognized underlying, those factors, those spiritual factors, the factor of evil in our world, and what Christ has done as our great physician, man of sorrows, to bring healing to us. And so we continue in that light today as we talk about the, the way that Christ has done that. Because this is not a, a make-believe idea or event. And it's important for us to recognize the uh, impact of the life of Christ here on this earth 2,000 years ago. And his death on the cross for our sins. The Bible gives it emphasis by saying it's by his stripes we have been healed by his wounds. It also teaches us that because of the sorrow he went through, we too can understand godly sorrow and find healing through that and avoid the kind of worldly sorrow that leaves us empty and disconnected and, and full of regret. So we want to talk about those stripes of sorrow today because it helps us realize that justice, which is the thing we all seek for when it comes to trauma, the thing that, has, the thing that causes trauma in life is evil in the form of injustice. And a perfect example of that is a bully. And I think that the devil is the biggest bully of all because what he wants to do is he wants to bully us into fear. He wants us to give up. He wants us to be frustrated. He wants to embarrass us. And we dug into that last week when we talked about being part of the Good Samaritan trauma team 
and how we are to look at these things. And if you missed any of these messages, you can go on Anchor, which is our podcast site. You can also go to our webpage, palcc.org. You can find the podcast. You can find the sermon, the, the whole service uh, from YouTube that we post to YouTube on there every, after, every Sunday afternoon. So you get caught up on these things if uh, you need to. But in the Good Samaritan prospect, we uh, are called to uh, offer the treatment to those that we see who are exposed, who are helpless, and um, who are in need. So we help. We are to reach out to them, and we 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 see the trouble. It's supposed to hit us in the gut. We help them immediately, and then we make sure that they are taken care of in the long term. And we can't be like the priest who thought that it was uh, uh, not for him to help the one who's hurting or the Levite. We need to be like the despised Samaritan who had mercy and took uh, and compassion on the one who was hurting. So as trauma team members, we're trying to find those in our lives who are struggling because evil has been exacted on them in the form of injustice by other people, sometimes by the events of life itself. How do we help them? We help them by realizing that justice comes through the wounds of Christ and also through his wisdom. Because if we understand why he died on the cross, why he allowed himself to be beaten, why he died such a brutal death, if we can understand why he did that, and remember we talked about the purpose, one of the main things that we need to carry forth with is when we learn from the man of sorrows, the good physician, is that God had a purpose for his son Jesus, and that was to come to this earth and to suffer. And Jesus volunteered to do that. And then we then, when we're dealing with our own suffering, we have to understand there's a purpose for it, that God wants to use us and our suffering and our struggle as we overcome, as we put our faith and our trust in him, so that we can be in a position to help others who are helpless, who are hopeless. It's funny how injustice has become the cause celeb of the day. Seems like everybody has some thing they want to talk about or protest over or riot over because of some perceived injustice that is taking place. And don't you just kind of wish we could have a week where there's not some riot somewhere? I mean, when they're out there in Portland, Seattle, I'm kind of like, well, there's a bunch of weird people out there. They deserve that, you know. Maybe that's the godless coast. And when it happens in California, maybe that's God's judgment. I know I shouldn't think that way. But when it happens down in Louisville, Kentucky, it gets a little closer to home. And you realize, because I've been to Louisville, I've been that uh, down in that area where they're doing the protesting and things like that. Um, we've heard so much about the Breonna Taylor uh, case. It was a horrible thing that happened, a horrible accident. But because there is a cause that some people can take up and they can yell about injustice, they will say things like, if we don't get what we want, we're going to burn the place down. 
or we're going to destroy the city. We're going to do these different kinds of things. I think it's important for us who are believers to understand that that's not how God's justice addresses injustice. Because underlying the fight for social justice in every case is a real-life trauma experienced by someone who has lost their lives. And we just add to their trauma when we don't try to seek justice the way that God teaches us to. You think these families whose names, their sons and their daughters, uh, their representatives in the name of these people who died or have been hurt, do you think their families... Families are just okay with all the destruction that's happening in the name of their children? And the answer to that question is no. You can ask them, they'll say no. With the exception of maybe one father who used this as an opportunity to get on camera and rail, none of them want to see their cities destroyed. There's real-life trauma that's going on here. There's hurt. There's loss. There's death. There's mistreatment. There's abuse. So how does God want us to respond to that? Well, the reality is there's been injustice since the beginning of time. It was not just for Cain to to kill his brother Abel. It was not just for the sons of Cain who took up evil and uh, and everything became evil all the time in their hearts. That was not just. And God tried to address that. And he has a way for us to address injustice. But any effort to talk about justice for the oppressed these days is hypocritical at best and exploitive at worst when we fail to offer the insight of Scripture as to what it teaches us about justice and injustice because God is all about justice. And it is Satan who stimulates injustice through the evil in this world. And that's what's causing all the trauma. I was listening to Diane Lingberg this morning while I was walking around. and um, I was listening to her chapter on uh, evil again. And in it, she makes this case. If we don't talk about trauma in light of evil, we're just wasting a lot of time. We may offer, we may like be like a, a blind squirrel and find a nut every once in a while in helping people, but we're not really helping them in depth. She makes the case in Suffering in the Heart of God, the book that she wrote, that when she observes, or what, the, what she observes is that God hates injustice. And he hates the evil that creates that injustice in our world. Especially when God's people are the ones who have allowed that evil to penetrate their heart, and they're the ones who are traumatizing others through injustice. Such a case was found in Micah chapter, the whole book of Micah, where God is taking his, his own children to task for their injustice. And Diane Langberg makes this point in her book to point out that there's a lot of evil to go around. And when we start talking about what we need to do about it, we need to start first in our own hearts. Micah chapter 6 verse 8, she says, And this is God speaking. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. 
What does he require? And again, the context here is the injustice of the, the community. There were God's people who were doing things that were not just. And he tells us what he requires of us as his children, and that is to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. That's why we all need to be on God's trauma team, the Good Samaritan trauma team, because we are prepared by God biblically and spiritually to help people because we ourselves are making the commitment to do justice, to love kindness, and to make sure that whatever we do, we're doing it humbly before the Lord. Now, if God requires us to do justice, we should inquire of Him how it is to be done because it is our godly nature to hate injustice as He does. Because we're made in the image of God when we see someone being bullied or hurt or we see injustice being done, it's like kicking us in the gut. We don't like it. We want to do something about it. We want to rise up. And that's the point where we are here in this good old country of ours. Is there are people who sat around for a long time watching injustice being done in the name of justice and they're saying we're tired of it and they're going to the streets themselves now and that's why people are concerned that we're headed towards a civil war of types where citizens will rise up against citizens because our leaders are sitting on the sidelines that's why we need to pray for our leaders we need to pray for this country we need to pray for all those different things. But when it comes to justice, God requires us to do justice. We need to make sure that as we inquire of him, that we understand that the trauma that we see around us of every kind needs our attention, like the Good Samaritan. Now, thankfully, God makes clear how we are to do justice. It's not just some idea that is unattainable he teaches us that in order to do justice we need to uh, practice those things that he calls us to do in our world our efforts collectively as a culture will fall short of restoring justice if we don't allow the principles and patterns laid out and exemplified by christ who teaches us that justice is righteousness and justice is repentance. So anytime we're helping people, we need, to un we need to make sure we're prepared to talk to them about how God sees it. Because God sees justice through wounds. But he also sees justice through wisdom. That's why the Touchpoint Initiative that we are going to start here, I think it's next week when, I, when we actually spend the whole time talking about it. But the idea behind that is that it doesn't matter what situation you're in, there are people around you in your life, in your family, there are people in our church family too, who would really be blessed if you just reach out and touch them somehow. You can call them, you could text them, you can communicate with them through social media, but even better is if you call them on the telephone or you are able to visit them and they can have visitors, we don't put anybody in stress, but if you can go see them and just say, hey, just wanted to come by and say hello. 
I want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. But part of the Touch Point initiative is to make sure that everything that we have here, whatever resources that we have, are communicating to people that we know and some we don't, that we love them and we have some answers that can help them. That we're not wandering, that we're not listless, that we're not down and depressed and disconnected. We're here to praise the Lord. Wasn't it good worship this morning, by the way? Great job, ladies. No, it wasn't very good. You guys didn't like it? Oh, you guys slow down. You're in the sleep mode. Are you in the rim pattern yet? All right. So we had great worship this morning, but when we come together and we're worshiping that way, it's a reminder, it's a reminder to us of how great God is, right? And how small our problems really are. And so when we gather together and we're strengthened, there are just as many or more who are not here for whatever reason, and they are missing out on the connection that they have with God through Christ. And it's, it's important for us to keep contact, that connection with them, and that's why the Touchpoint Initiative is so important. And starting on October 7th, on Wednesday nights, you can come over to our house, uh, mine and, well, actually it'd be Sarah and Andrew's house too. You can come join us there. We all live there together as one happy family where there's no yelling, right, Sarah? None yelling. Um, you join us on Wednesday nights. We're going to start at 7 o'clock. And instead of having a Bible study, you know, where I, you know, it's a chance for me to impress you with how wise I am, you know, in Scripture, we're just going to talk. We take what we learned from Sunday, just kind of talk about it briefly, but then find out how how we can pray for one another, but also who we need to be praying for. And it'll be an opportunity for you maybe share, you don't have to give names or anything like that, but maybe share with your struggle with someone in your life or something that's going on. And we're just going to spend a lot of time praying for one another and encouraging one another. It's just going to be a heart-to-heart ministry on Wednesday nights. So join us starting October 7th at our house. And if you need directions, we'll... Just let me know. But through all this ministry, it gives us the opportunity to remind people that justice, the kind of justice God wants us to do, always leads to righteousness. What's the point of justice if it doesn't lead to righteousness? Does it make any sense? When you look out there in the world today and people say, we, we're doing this in the name of justice and it leads to destruction, do you really think that they are doing justice the way God wants justice done? Now, you can try to explain that to them. And if you can avoid the group of people they surround themselves uh, who might want to hurt you physically uh, and convince them, that what they're thinking is uh, not right, that would be great. But it seems like there's so much anger that the devil has chosen to use the subject of justice to interject his evil to bring about that which is, or to do the wrong thing in the name of what is right. But when God says justice, he says it's about righteousness. You've heard the phrase, no justice, no peace. That's a threat. 
That's about retaliation. I was surprised to hear um, uh, a commenter on CNN, CNN talk about how we need to burn the whole system down. Thinking, have we gotten to this point where people on national television, and I know it's cable and nobody ever watches CNN. Actually, I've, I don't watch CNN. There are other people who watch CNN and tell me what's on it, you know, all the, the outrageous things. So when I, but I, when they actually play the clip of the person saying, we just need to burn this whole system down, is that really justice? Does that lead to righteousness or are you just threatening me? But see, that's what evil does. That's what bullies do. It's what Satan wants to do to you in your life that causes the trauma. And he'll use people conveniently who are empty and vacuous and struggling to bully you. They'll use their power, their authority over you to try to suppress you or to hurt you, to humiliate you. We need to be stronger than that because we know that justice is all about righteousness. And here's the good news is if you are in Christ, you're a believer, you love the Lord, not only can we be convinced that we are doing justice, but you can be completely convinced that God is bringing justice in your life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 through 25 is the first verse that we look at here this morning. This is talking about Jesus. It says, He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for what? Say it louder. He did all that so that we would live for what? Righteousness. Because it's by his wounds, you have been healed. Now, wouldn't it make sense here that you'd say, well, wait a second, hold on, hold on. If I'm going to live for righteousness, then I need to make sure that I retaliate and get revenge against those who've hurt me, right? Right? And that's what Lincoln always says, right? I love my grandkids. I love having them around the house. But you pick up little some of their little um, their little things that make his life a lot lighter. No, Jesus says that it's through his sacrifice we can deal with our own sins and live for righteousness because by his wounds you have been healed. Not retaliation, not revenge. And here's the clue we need to give to those that we know, and you have family and friends when we're talking about this particular issue and the trauma that it's creating in our culture right now, on top of the trauma of the pandemic that we're all living through, we're all just on edge. It's that our healing doesn't come through the action of anyone else other than what Jesus has already done. And the reason that we find healing that way is so then we can do what is right. 
And it goes on and says, For you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Sometimes we turn to culture and politics and, and other things, and we find our comfort and we find our power and we find our sense of safety and security there. But what this reminds us is that our true power and safety is found in the shepherd and overseer of our souls who sent his son to die on the cross so that we could die to our own sin and live for righteousness because it was by his suffering, his wounds, his stripes, you have been healed. That's why title Stripes of Sorrow. The people who are out there saying no justice, no peace, who are offering retaliation and threats, they're just using the idea of justice to seek revenge. And I hope and pray God will continue to establish and keep things in order by the power of his word so that our children and grandchildren can continue to enjoy what we've enjoyed in our life, which is relatively relative peace and safety. Justice is righteousness, but also it's important to know that justice is repentance. Just like we said, no justice, no peace, there's the, there's the, uh, the little phrase, no Jesus, no peace, only it's the K-N-O-W, like it says in the bulletin there. Really, when it comes to repentance, it is that understanding that Jesus has suffered through his wounds, and now he has offered us his wisdom so that we can transform through his woundedness. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 through 11 reminds us that this is really about godly sorrow and transformation. It says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leads to no regret. But worldly sorrow, it brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. Now, all those things sound like uh, social justice, right? So if we're really interested in bringing justice to our society, then it starts with godly sorrow. Because godly sorrow is the only thing that can bring transformation. That's what repentance is. It means doing a 180. I'm going one way. I know I'm going the wrong way then, so I repent. I turn around and I head back towards God. That's the idea of repentance. That's what leads us to salvation without regret. And what's happened here, from an observable standpoint, as a preacher, you look back over history, and we've talked about this before, where as a culture, we're drifting farther and farther away from God, right? Would you agree? So as we drift further and further away from God, and our universities are filled with atheists and, and, um, and uh, anarchists, and they're teaching our children that um, that we cannot tolerate debate, 
that that they're right and everyone else is wrong. So the 19-year-old child will go home and tell their parents who've, you know, been supporting them all their life and paying for their expensive college education, you all are idiots. To which I would say, okay, you're done. I'm, I mean, you, you, you can pack your stuff. We'll, we'll find you a nice, modest place. You're going to need to get your job to pay for it. Let's, let's find out what life is really all about. But what that, what's happened is we've allowed culture to spoil our children just in a different way. We spoiled them for a long time with things of this world. Now we're allowing them to be spoiled by complete strangers. They're spoiling their souls. Godly sorrow is about realizing that as a, as a group, even as a church, there's this call that we've been moving away from God and we need to repent. We need to turn around and we need to have godly sorrow. We need to actually admit We've been doing, wouldn't it be awesome if <laughs> at the debate, I think there's a presidential debate coming up. Is it tomorrow, tonight? Anybody know? Tuesday. Wouldn't it be great if in the opening statement of both presidential candidates, they said, we've just drifted way too far from the Lord. And in my, in my administration, I'm going to do everything I can to help us as a country express godly sorrow and repent of our sins so that we can get back where our founding fathers established, and that is a nation under God. Wouldn't that be great? But what's the likelihood of that, you know? Godly sorrow is what brings about repentance that leaves no regret, which means worldly sorrow is what causes all the regret. And here's what worldly sorrow is. is where you're, uh, you're this and you're... It's the accusations that come from other people that we don't even know, and they don't even know us, and we say, well... I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize. I didn't realize that I've been enslaving and perpetuating and uh, creating systemic uh, racism, injustice, and and um, and all the other things that we're you know that we're told that we do. We say, "Well, I'm sorry. I, I'm wrong about that." But repentance always has to be mutual. I hope you understand that. It has to be collective. Now, I can repent of my sins before the Lord, and I can have a good relationship with Him, but repentance should never be used as a weapon against you because evil people will always say, you need to repent. You need to say you're sorry. You're the wrong one. And that's the kind of worldly sorrow that leads to regret and death. Because if we admit, and here's the problem when we bend the knee, and I've already talked to you about this, when we bend the knee to culture, cancel culture, or anybody out there in the world on uh, Twitter or Facebook or any social media, if we bend the knee and we say, I'm sorry for what I've done, I'm not even sure what it is I've done, but I'm sorry, then they will just continue to make us bend further and further until they've completely forced our face to the ground and we are no more. But if we say, listen, we realize there's some problems here, so let's all collectively, let's, you and I, we're going to have a conversation. Let's talk about this, and let's together repent. And let's seek God and his justice. That's godly sorrow that leads to transformation. Because here's what godly sorrow produces. It produces earnestness. 
eagerness to clear ourselves, indignation towards evil. It makes us aware of what's going on, the alarm. We long for what's right. We long for reconciliation. We're very concerned about the things we need to be concerned about. But mostly we're ready to see justice be done. And the reason that this is important is because in our culture as believers, as Christians, we are to do justice. We're to love kindness. We are to walk humbly before the Lord. And as part of God's trauma team, and this is why it's so important for us as believers, as Christians, with our friends and our families and even our foes, as I talked about, we need to help them by seeking justice the right way, and that's through godly sorrow. And if we're silent while people drone on about worldly sorrow and injustice, and we don't challenge that in some way, lovingly with gentleness and respect, then we're allowing them just to live in their ignorance, which leads to worldly sorrow that brings death, not life. And if we let enough of that poison be around us in our little tub of apples, enough rottenness, that one bad apple will turn into two, will turn into three, will turn into four, because as Donny Osmond said, one bad apple, oh no, he said one bad apple don't spoil the whole bunch girl, but he's wrong, <laughs> right? I just realized that. All these years, I've been thinking of it wrong. Have you ever had, you know, what do we do with potatoes? Well, I put them where it's cool, but we can't see them. But have you ever walked by where your potato bin is and you've smelled something? And you go, what is that? And then you lift up the lid or you look in and you feel around. And maybe the top potato, it still feels good. But then when you pick it up, you smell something. And then liquid starts to drip out. And... One bad potato has turned another bad potato, and before long, all the potatoes around the bad potato have become what? They become bad. Now, there may be one good potato who somehow was lucky enough to be on the top and away from all the bad potatoes, but how long will the potato who's on the top stay fresh and good if it keeps surrounding itself with poison, bad, rotten potatoes? That's why it's so important for us with gentleness and respect, to challenge those in the world around us. And I'm not saying to get in Facebook fights with people or Twitter fights with people. I'm talking about talking to people. Because the trauma that's created in this world, and this is the application too for just the general trauma, the complex trauma that people are going through is, when we see it, we can recognize that they're going through what they're going through because someone was evil and did something traumatic to them. And that should cause us, like the Good Samaritan, to get that kick in the gut where we say, I am earnest and eager to see justice be done. We, can't be we cannot be afraid of the fight because the people on the other side are threatening and retaliating because what do we learn from Jesus is that if we entrust ourselves to him who judges justly and we do God, we do justice and we love kindness 
and we walk humbly before the Lord, then God orchestrates the stuff that brings stability and security around us. He says, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Only God can do that. You all remember Elizabeth Smart. She was the little girl, 14 years old, uh, captured from her room and taken up into the mountains by some lunatic who was going to marry her and uh, she had the assistance of another woman who was the wife of this mad lunatic. And so he did everything he could to try to to um, terrify her, to abuse her, to get her to, to bend the knee, so to speak, to submit herself to this guy fully. And she tells a story of how in the midst of the situation that she was dealing with, she learned to do the things, she learned to be nice to him to survive. And she tells how learning to be nice to him made her reflect upon her, her spiritual upbringing, you know, her lo- the love Christ has for everyone, and that even though this guy was doing evil to her, she didn't want to be changed by him to become evil herself. And so she just kept hoping and kept believing. And then uh, it was uh, several months went by when she finally was able to be found and, and set free. When her sister remembered that the guy she saw in the room with them reminded them of a worker that was at the house. So what Elizabeth Smart has done is she's taken this horrible traumatic experience that she went through and she's turned it around where she said I'm not going to let that define me I'm going to help others who are going through this themselves so they had on track a new show where she was interviewing other people who had been either abused or whatever uh, and had escaped with that with their lives and she was going to interview them And uh, this is what she said. She said the most important part is letting them experience justice and letting them tell their story. Because the important part was she knew that their evil had been done to these people. And when they finally were able, and many of them were hesitant, but when they finally were able to start talking about it, and crying about it with someone who'd been through it. They enjoyed the healing of Christ's wounds. Now, you might think when you came in here today, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up to be a Good Samaritan. I didn't sign up to be part of God's Good Samaritan trauma team where I'm going to transform the suffering and trauma, even if it's milder that I'm going through, to help someone who's suffering something worse. And here's the thing is Elizabeth, she admits that when she comes, encounters all these different people, as horrible as her situation was, she still thinks what the other person went through was worse. Because they didn't have the faith that she had when she was going, when they were going through it some of them. That's why our Touchpoint Initiative is so important to do justice is we want to use every resource we have available and you are our biggest resource as people to do justice 
in the lives of those who have been traumatized by the pandemic or the unrest that's going on in our country today. They are disturbed. They can't sleep. They're frustrated. And they want to speak out. And if they're doing it uh, with retaliation and threats, you need to help them understand there's no justice in that. Use the things we learn today to encourage others. We need to put our trust in the one who makes things right as we put our hope in the one and only one who can transform all things. And if we're trying to do this without God, it doesn't make any difference who the president is or who's in Congress or who our senators are or who's on the Supreme Court. If we lose sight that we are a nation under God, His nation, His children, doing things His way, there's not a thing we can do to save us. However, as God's Good Samaritan trauma team, all you got to do is just look out and you'll find those people who are on the side of the road beaten and left for dead by some bully who just wanted to hurt them and take from them. I hope and pray that you will become part of that team that seeks to bring healing and help. And we know that Christ is the one. His personal touch is what brings healing to those who are really suffering. And we know the help that he offers is through his word. So I would encourage you to just encourage people to open up what God has to say to them, the truth. And you may have to explain it to them. You may have to help them uh, by digesting what the Word says and then, and then sharing it with them in a way that they can understand. But the most important thing we need to do is introduce people to Christ because it's by His stripes we are healed. And it's by His wisdom that we find the transformation that we need to make this world what God wants it to be.